Let's do that hockey. Welcome to another episode of Dauber Prospects Radio. I'm your host, Peter Harling, and sorry about the little hiatus here in between episodes. Uh, It's been a while, but it's good to be back. Uh, If you've been following the Dauber Prospects site, you probably noticed that I recently published this year's uh, first edition of the Fantasy Ranking for the NHL Draft. This is an article that comes out once, twice a year, and it's pretty much the only one that I know of where you can find a ranking for the upcoming draft that focuses on fantasy hockey. Now, there's lots of, lots and lots of places you can go and find different kind of rankings for the draft, but none of them are really more fantasy-focused. That's something that needs to be left to the, your interpretation. Uh, so what this article is, is a consensus. I get a, a few of the Dauber Prospects uh, draft experts uh, to help me out with this. And then I also outsource to a couple of um, hockey writer scouts who follow the draft real, real close. Uh, some guys the likes of uh, uh, Steve, sorry, Scott uh, Wheeler from The Athletic, uh, Russ Cohen from Hockey Prospect Radio and Sirius XM, uh, Ryan Wagman from McKean's, uh, Steve Ellis from The Hockey News, and I'm pleased to be joined right now by Steve Cornianus, the draft analyst and a reoccurring guest on Dauber Prospects Radio. Welcome back to the show, Steve. Good to have you on, man. Thanks. So always great to be on, Pete. Yeah. So what I do is I get everyone to give me their fantasy rankings for the first round of the draft. And then I kind of figure out what the consensus overall rankings for this is and it's all based on fantasy hockey as i mentioned and this year's draft is is a unique one from the last uh several that we've had um covid has a lot to do with that of course because you know there's a bunch of players like um mason mctavish who hasn't even played a game yet this season um actually that's not true he went over to uh to Switzerland, but the ohl isn't playing so there's a lot of guys who haven't played a single game a bunch of guys who only have a handful of games um and then it's also just a different kind of draft where there isn't really a consensus overall first ranked guy so steve let's just start with how this year's draft not even from a fantasy perspective, but how this year's draft is is so different from other drafts in the past. And we were talking a little bit before I hit record, trying to come up with some comparisons to uh, to drafts gone by that that this one is is kind of close to. And I think there's like two or three that we really like. Maybe the 2014, the 2012 draft that these ones are are kind of similar to. Um, so let's let's talk about how this year's draft is unique and there isn't really a consensus number one guy on, on anyone's list or rankings. Yeah. That's kind of what makes it unique right off the bat is that there isn't a, a consensus number one. I think a lot of us felt it might've been Artu Raddy from Finland, let's say 12 to 14 months ago. And that was all based on the fact that he's, he was, you know, 16 year old kid who was playing at the world juniors for Finland. He was tearing up the U 20 league there, uh, the junior circuit. And, you know, we figured, you know, his size, his his, uh, his shot, that he was kind of a two-way physical type, uh, that he played center as well, that he, he's a pretty good candidate to earmark as a likely consensus number one. And even then, though, people are like, well, there's some other people you got to think about or bring into the conversation. 
And then, unfortunately for us, you know, Ratty kind of struggled a little bit. Uh, he was slow uh, to start his junior season, and even with the SM Liga, the, the the adult age league there in Finland, and then he gets left off the Finnish World Junior team after making it a year when he was a year younger. So now it's like, okay, great. Now we now we have to kind of start all over again. <laughs> uh, and uh, the thing is, though, like you mentioned, 2012 and 2014, that's exactly what this draft is going to be like. It's going to be either really good, like 2014, which did not have a consensus number one, but still created or turned out like superstar players. You know, Leon Dreisaitl and uh, you know Nikolai Ehlers and David Pasternak. Uh, you can go up and down that list. For the 14 draft was fantastic when it comes to forwards, and all these guys, a lot of those guys drafted in that uh, first round are franchise players for their respective teams right now. The 2012 is the opposite. The the similarity to 2012 was that it was a defense heavy draft, so you get the guys like Morgan Riley and uh, Truba, but the forwards were were not very good. And I think the best forward out of that entire group was. Philip Forsberg, and he's good, but he's not a superstar. He's not even a star. Uh, and you had a lot of busts in there, too, with Galchenyuk uh, uh, and so on. So uh, I think, you know, what we really don't know, though, what we're going to get out of this 21 crop because we know it's defense-heavy like 2012. We know there's no consensus, number one, like 2014. But, uh, you know, the, the question is, even though there isn't a consensus, is it still going to churn out? let's say 10 to 15 star NHL players like 2014 did, or is it going to turn out only four or five really good NHL number one and number two defensemen like 12 did? And that's really the conundrum. Uh, And then maybe you want to throw in as far as overall depth, you want to compare it to 2017 where 2017 was, we kind of had a, a consensus number one to start right in Nolan Patrick. And then he had his injury issues. And then, you know, Nico Hesha had a great World Juniors and a top prospects game. So then he entered the conversation. And then you had that grouping of, you know, Cody Glass and Elias Pettersson, uh, Miro Heiskanen having a strong U18 World Championship uh, tournament, Kale McCarr. Like, we knew about those guys. But after that, it was like, uh, I don't know, it was kind of thin. So I think uh, – this year's draft class is is a little bit of all three. You got the defense heavy, the the, the defense heavy prospects from 2012, the lack of a consensus number one like 2014, and the uh, the 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 lack of uh, punch or depth outside of the let's say top 15 or top 20. Uh, all that said, though, we could be completely completely mistaken, and maybe five years from now we're looking at uh, you know maybe 10 to 15 star players, like I said. Uh, like from from 2014, but you know I have a lot of I use a lot of variables to try to you know determine that, and I, the, the, on the surface right now it doesn't look like we're going to head that way. I think it's going to be a pretty average draft class without a consensus number one. Yeah, it is it is defense heavy, um, but there are some some really interesting forwards here: uh, Eklund, Kent Johnson, Beniers, uh, Dylan Gunther. Um, you know, Atu Ratu, you, you already mentioned. So it's not devoid of, of forwards. Um, I guess for me, I look at the uh, the 2014 draft and, you know, we, it went Aaron Eckblad, Sam Reinhart, Drysdale, Sam Bennett, Michael Del Cole, Jake Vertanen, and that was, and then Hayden Fleury. That's how the draft went. If yeah. we redrafted it today, I think it's pretty safe to say that Drysdale would be number one with a bullet. Pasternak maybe would be competitive with that at number sure. two 
Pasternak didn't even go until the end of the first round. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of, this draft would have a lot of, of reshuffling of the selections if it was, if it was redone today. But at the time, of course, it didn't look that egregious. Um, there was a lot of players who I thought went right around when they should have. Uh, and I, I don't think anybody at the time was saying, Oh my God, what's Calgary doing taking Sam Bennett fourth overall ahead of yeah. David Pasternak? Like, no one was saying that then. So with this year's draft, I'm I'm looking at all the players on there, and and then I look at all the different rankings that everyone has, and I'm trying to to sort out how much of that is weighted because it's just a smaller sample size this year, um, and you know who it's hard to tell where where some of these guys fit in because the OHL hasn't played a single game yet this season. Only a handful of games in the dub have, have happened. You've got guys who have sat out and haven't played a single game. You've got some guys who traveled at 18, you know, over to Europe and played a few games there. And now they're starting to trickle back into different leagues that are starting to start up. Or, you know, they've got that uh, culture shock and adjustment period where they're playing pro hockey in Switzerland or wherever they're playing. Uh, it's just, it's just kind of crazy. Um, and those guys that are over there, they know that they could be there for anywhere from like 10 games to the balance of the season and play 40 games over there. Like they just, there's just so much unknown about the whole entire season and scouts aren't able to go and, and cover their regions like they maybe normally would, or their region might be blacked out. There might not be any games there. Um, and then just, it's just a total crapshoot really like i don't even know what to make of the rankings is it because of covid is it because of games played is or is it just because uh there's just not a lot of separation between all these these players like there are there aren't any generational players who are standing out like guys like who you mentioned we've been watching since when they were a kid i guess the closest one would be ratu ratu but um he's really cooled off big time this season he had a really slow start like you said uh getting snubbed for the world junior team and it's not like it was a political decision his play didn't warrant making the team in order for finland to ice the most competitive team it did not include him um but since then he's been kind of he'd been kind of improving a little bit so so yeah i'm not sure this is a really good year if you're in a, a a rebuilding stage of your fantasy team to be loading up on picks and uh, and and trying to you know get a couple franchise players out of this draft to to get your your fantasy team on track. Uh, you think that's a safe assessment? Yeah, uh, th- th- there's a there's a couple of factors that we have to consider. Um, that usually, and, and I know it's kind of like a, a difference of opinions when it comes to the international tournaments and the prospect showcases, where you say, well, it's a short sample size, so you can't say that this kid's going to be a star based on what he did in five games in the middle of February or what he did at, you know, seven games in the World Juniors or, you know, six or seven games at the Ivan Holinka in August. But now we're learning that th- those help, those tournaments help, uh, you know, give us an idea because the, especially the Ivan Holinka, the Ivan Holinka is such a critical tournament mm-hmm. because it's in the beginning of the season. It's in August. It's the, it gives Hockey Canada the chance to send their very best. And usually, you know, listen, the, the majority of the kids drafted come out of Canada, Canadian major junior, uh, you know, so you usually get about 35 kids from the OHL that get drafted, about 25 from the dub, and then maybe another 10 to 15 from the Q. Well, you know, that, that Ivan Holinka, when they, when they convene for their camp in, let's say, what, like mid-July, 
that's that's a great time because it's the off season, so it gives time for all uh, all us draft guys to put the previous draft class in the rearview, uh, you know, the rearview mirror, and then focus on the new crop. And when they have these selection camps and festivals, it's a good way to to gauge that. And on, on top of that, you know, you have the European leagues that start in like you know like late July, mid mid August, sometime on Russia. Uh, they do. And so that that was completely wiped out. We, we lost that opportunity. Um, and we had this weird variable this year where the the freaking draft class was the 2020 class was was still uh, hadn't uh, yet to be decided. And uh, the, some of the kids were playing in a new season in in, yeah. in in the European League, guys like Holtz and Raymond. So it was very odd, very difficult uh, task for uh, for a, a guy like myself who really likes that break. He, I like this is the dra- the draft was on, let's say, June 21st. It ended. Let me move on to the next class. So not having that international tournament, uh, w- which would have showcased the likes of, let's say, uh, Zachary Bolduke or for Team Canada, or let's say a Simon Edmondson for Team Sweden. So all we have to do is, to, we could do is go off of older tournaments, or and and even then you're like, well, none of these kids really dominated. And, you know, I don't like to use the World Juniors to gauge NHL potential, but I do use it to figure out what uh, the, the quality of uh, the draft class is. And usually... If a lot of first-year eligibles, so in this case, guys that were born in the year 2003 or late 2002, are invited to the tryout camps, because we all know the World Juniors, right? The coaches want to win, so they want to stack their teams with as much uh, as many veterans as they can, in this case, veterans being 19-year-old kids, uh, you know, two years removed from their initial draft look. Uh, but usually you get about 15 to 20 first-year eligibles in a given World Junior tournament, Five or six really big names. You know, last year, what I think six of the first seven picks of the 2020 draft were at the, the previous World Juniors. Um, and so, well, this year was different. We didn't have any of that. There wasn't a single, outside of maybe Matthew Beniers, there wasn't, uh, and maybe Walsh at the goalie, but he barely yeah. played. There wasn't yeah. a single difference maker, uh, first year eligible. All the guys, Olison from Sweden, uh, Hellenius from Finland, Zvozel from the Czech Republic. These guys are good prospects, but they're not like, oh my God, I got to you know trade everything to get them at the draft. Uh, so that that was one of the things that 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 just adds to this confusion. And you know, it's it's where we are today. Even to, even though eighty percent of the leagues are playing and the kids are active, a lot of the big OHL name OHL kids went over to Europe and they're doing really well mm-hmm. uh, in places like Slovenia and Slovakia. <laughs> And Switzerland, but yeah, like you said, it, it's a big unknown, and uh, not having that number one guy at the top to kind of, you know, develop or to create that standard, and then you kind of assess everybody off that standard. It's it's kind of tough uh, when it comes to ranking people and subsequently projecting NHL uh, players. Yeah, so let's uh, let's let's tuck into it then. Let's let's look at the rankings and and talk about uh, some of the specific players. So first of all, I had eight people contribute uh, their rankings. Uh, as I mentioned, we went through and got a consensus, and there wasn't really an overwhelming consensus for number one. Uh, in in drafts past the last several seasons where I've done this, it's been either totally unanimous who the first overall guy was going to be, or it was a very consensus as to who the top 
three or four players in the draft where everyone had like the same top three guys almost all the time. And this year it is just the total opposite. So out of the eight contributors to this, the people who were ranked uh, number one are Beniers. And then I had Eklund and someone else said Beniers. Someone said Fabian Lysel. Someone said Owen Power. Someone said Jesper Wallstadt. Someone said William Eklund. So like just wide open. And then ranked number two, you've got Lysel, Kent Johnson, Brant Clark, William Eklund, Eklund, Clark, and then Eklund. So out of the, the top two on the rankings, the end result ended up being William Eklund number one and Kent Johnson number two. Uh, Kent Johnson didn't receive any votes for number one, and he ended up the second ranked highest scored player on, on the consensus rankings, which... Um, which I find is is really interesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So for fantasy hockey rankings, again, this this ranking is based on um, fantasy hockey. So I I told the writers, you know, points only. Um, so not really taking into consideration too much your peripheral stats like hits and blocks, because not every league counts penalty minutes and plus minus and block shots and all those fun stats, but all of them count goals and assists. So with an emphasis on goals and assists. Um, so the, the number one ranked guy overall was, was William Eklund. So let's talk a little bit about him. I've not seen a lot of him play cause he's over in Europe, but, uh, why don't you tell me what your, um, your scouting assessment is on Mr. Eklund? Well, right off the bat, he's a, he's a dynamic playmaker. Uh, he's a little guy. Well, not that little. He's like about five eleven. I've seen some listings where he's six foot. Uh, but, uh, he's a wing. Uh, so just to get get that out in the open, he plays uh, for U Gardens in the Swedish Hockey League, the SHL, and he's been there for about a season and a half. So he was in the J20 Junior League a, a year ago or a year and a half ago. I, I lose track of time <laughs> with the, with the seasons and everything. Uh, and then in the middle of the 1920 season, he finally got promoted up to the parent club. And even though he only had like one or two points last season you kind of saw like, all right, this guy's got something going. And I, I, we knew of him because he was on team Sweden at the Ivan Holinka that previous August, I guess it would be August of 2019. And he was at that tournament and he just, he, he annihilated it. He destroyed it. He was a, he was a buzzsaw. Uh, and he has obviously a lot of skill, but uh, just the, when you, when a guy collects the puck and, and he's kind of like doing the Mitch Marner stuff, it, it, it stands out. You know, where he's constantly turning and pivoting and changing direction and eluding pressure and attacking the middle of the ice. And that was a big thing that I saw from Eklund, not just at that Halinka, but also when he was this brand new rookie, inexperienced kid in the SHL in that half season of 2019-20, where he was attacking the middle of the ice. And that, that means that you have a kid who's fearless. And of course, if you attack the middle of the ice, you have to have the puck skills, the stick handling and puck control and agility to make decisions, you know, from thereafter and get into the traffic and not let the traffic really uh, impede your movement or your uh, or impact your decision making. So, you know, cutting into this season, I think I had him ranked like 15th. I'm like, you know what? Uh, the size thing is still a little bit of a concern because it's the SHL and it's not all that physical compared to North America. And we've always seen a lot of these Swedish kids struggle with that transition, especially the forwards. Well, you know, this year with U Gardens, he was on the third line. And his winger was Alexander Holtz. Now, he played with Alexander Holtz, you know, who's a, a top pick of the Devils last year. Holtz being the sniper finishing type. Well, 
they're on the same line last year. I, and I there were games I watched because of Holtz where I'm like, dude, friggin' Eklund is driving that line as a left wing. And uh, so uh, fast forward to this season, not only is he driving that line, I mean, he's probably one of the best under, I would say, 24, 25 players in the league. I mean, he is a fantastic. His point production, uh, considering that he's playing about, I would say, 14, 15 minutes a game. So it's like third line minutes. But his points per 60 is, is excellent because most of his points have come at five on five. Uh, and he's got what I, th- I think at the time of publishing, he had 19 points in, I want to say, like 32 games. So over uh, half a point a game. But the, the key stat for me, there were two things. Number one, that the bulk of his points, about 80%, were primary points. That means he either scored the goal or he had the primary or the initial assist. Uh, and then on top of that is his goals were making a difference in the scoreboard. So his team was either trailing or he was putting his team ahead. Uh, if, if the game was tied, you know, his team needed, let's say, an insurance goal. It's not like he was scoring garbage time points like a lot of some of these, uh, these top kids are used to doing. Uh, so the fact that he's doing all this as an undersized player in a men's league, uh, and I, I went back and I dug into the numbers, his points per game right now, I think it's at like 0.58 or something. It would be the highest of a first year eligible from Sweden in the SHL since 12-13. And that was Elias Lindholm, uh, who uh, was at like 0.62 or something. But uh, he was a top 10 pick. So... Uh, some people are starting to put Eklund as number one overall in the draft. I totally get it. Uh, I I still got him ranked at number 10 because uh, I I don't like to give such massive bumps based off of, let's say, a three to five game sample when I watch a kid. Uh, But uh, yeah, he's he's just fun to watch. He's he's, his skating, his agility. He's not like a a speed demon, Pablo Burry type or Connor McDavid, but he's quick and very slippery. Uh, but again, the, the fact that he could score in a, a whole bunch of ways, they've used him on the point on the power play because he's got a pretty good slapper. So I, there's just a lot to like about him. It was that one last thing about Eklund that I liked is that he'll mix it up after the whistle. He, it's not like he shies away from physical contact. Uh, he if there's you know, and actually he got into a pretty big shoving match with his uh, under 18 Swedish teammate uh, Anton Olsen when they played Malmo one game. I'm, I like that. I like when these kids uh, have that type of competitiveness in them and won't back down from a challenge. So uh, from a, a, a shot, shot volume, goal scoring, a dual, he's a dual threat because he could be a setup man or be a goal scorer. Uh, so I think he'd be a very wise choice uh, to grab first overall in a, in a fantasy uh, type draft situation. So something that you mentioned in there that really caught my ear was that uh, the majority of his points are of the primary variety and that he scores a lot of points that matter, that make yeah. a difference, right? Like the the 2-1 goal, not the 7-1 the goal. Yeah. And I think that might be one of the biggest differences between uh, him and the second-ranked guy on the fantasy ranking list, Ken Johnson. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen, a, I've seen a bunch of Michigan games, and I've seen the highlight reels. I've seen him score. I look at the box scores, and, you know, he's a very talented player. He's got a lot of skill. Um, footwork is, is a concern, but um, he scores a lot of points when the game's already out of reach. Yeah. So is that... Is that because, you know, I don't know why. Why is that? Why would be that be the difference? Is that like a competitive thing? Like the other team is kind of mailing it in already. So their their compete level diminishes, which means he doesn't have to fight as hard to find that open space. 
Um, you know, the, the, the opposition's already defeated. Does it mean that the coach is saying, okay, this game's this game's over. Let's go ahead and give, you know, someone else some ice time. Kent, you're up. Uh, I don't think that's the case because he's he yeah. plays on a line with Beniers all season, so he's getting good minutes all the time. Um, I don't know. I I don't expect you would have an answer for that. But what are your what are your thoughts on that? No, I I do. I got a couple of answers for that. And actually, so you know, Kent Johnson's a guy that dominated the BCHL last season. He was the the league MVP. He had I think a hundred points, and he outscored the next guy by like twenty five. So it's a pretty big deal if you do that. And it's your draft minus one year. So we all knew who Ken Johnson was. He played at the World Junior A Challenge for uh, Canada West. Uh, and I, I watched that tournament uh, very, uh, you know, with a, you know, comb through it, uh, very detailed. Uh, and I just, I, I was blown away by this kid. I'm like, all right, he's going to be a top 10 candidate for the next draft. Some people even said number one overall. Now, the thing about Michigan is they, this year's Michigan team is probably the, has the most impressive freshman class in college hockey history. And, I, and I, I could go back to college hockey in the 1980s. There's been a lot of good freshman classes, but Boston University, when they had Chris Drury and uh, Mike Greer and I have a whole bunch of other guys I'm forgetting. But I know for a fact that when you have three guys on your freshman class who are going to be top 10 in the draft, and that's the case this year with Michigan, with Veneers, Kent Johnson, the defenseman Owen Power. No and question. then, oh, by the way, you have former first-round picks in Thomas Bordalo and Brendan Brisson and Cam York, right. uh, and so this is a loaded team. So there's only so much puck to go around, so much ice time to share, and so I think that when the season started, the coach had no choice but to put Beneers and Johnson on one of the lower lines. The thing is, though, and they were a fourth line. If you went by the way that the lines were used or deployed based on the flow of the game, that, that johnson Beneers unit was the fourth option. You know, and and obviously that wasn't the case when the team broke up a little bit when they had to send guys to the World Juniors. But so in that limited window that that Johnson Beniers were given, they excelled. And they, the first three games of the season, I think they played like Arizona State twice, and then they played Wisconsin. So those were like that the first grouping of games that Michigan had. That line with specifically Beniers and Johnson, they were driving possession. They they were dominating the puck. Uh, the puck was not in their end a whole lot. It was mostly in the opposing. And there was one shift I saw with, with Beneers and and Johnson, and I forgot the the, the winger, the other guy, it might have been Becker, um, where they they had a, like a two-and-a-half-minute shift. And even though Michigan was swapping out guys because other guys were tired, Beneers and Johnson stayed on the ice. It wasn't two-and-a-half minutes. Maybe it was like about a minute, 45 seconds. And they were running their cycles like crazy, wearing out the opposition. So it, it, it was from that where I realized, okay, so clearly these guys are gifted offensively. They're gifted on the puck. They understand how to wear down opponents. And it just so happens that uh, because of Michigan's strength, the strength of their lineup, they are blowing out a lot of people. Not not all the time. They you know I think they're only like a, like about a, above five hundred team barely. But you know, like I said, there's only so much puck to go around. But at the same time, most of Johnson's points that he gets are during garbage time. Uh, and so you have to keep an eye on that. He's also a winger. Now, he, they list him as a center, but he's been playing wing uh, with Michigan. And he doesn't, he doesn't shoot the puck all that often. And as much as you'd like to see. Now, he's got an elite shot. It's one of his better strengths. But he was averaging under uh, two shots a game, about 1.75 shots a game. And I'm thinking like, all right, that means that for all the cycling and the weaving that they're doing in the offensive zone, 
is it translating to chances or high danger scoring uh, chances and quality looks at the net? And if you if you only have, you know, you're not averaging at least two shots a game as a premier winger, uh, then chances are means that you're probably passing up a lot of shots. And uh, so that's that's one of my concerns moving forward with Johnson. But all that said, though, he's averaging, I think, well over a point a game as a freshman. Uh, I think he is the top scoring freshman in the nation. So, uh you know, you don't want to nitpick the kid too much. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's just something. It's just it's the difference between he and Eklund. Where Eklund is, is playing against men and scoring clutch points. Johnson's playing against college-age guys, and he's kind of getting the secondaries in garbage time. So uh, we'll see how that translates. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the difference between uh, Michigan forwards here, Kent Johnson and Maddie Beniers, who are ranked second and third overall on the fantasy rankings. So Kent Johnson's number two. Matt Beniers came in at number three. The difference between them in, in points on the scoring system on our rankings was was a margin of one. So a very, very fine hair. And they both have about the same points per game playing for Michigan. Um, now, one thing that I noticed was that Matty Beniers made the world juniors and Ken Johnson did not. Um, both teams are stacked Canada and USA. They're, they're both loaded rosters. So I think the difference between the reason why one made it and the other didn't, because uh, I think Matt Beniers brings more to the table than just offense. His motor is, is uh, as outstanding. He's Charlie hustle up and down the ice every day. He's versatile positionally, you know, center wing. He can play either position. Uh, if there's an injury, he can move up and fill in a top six role. His skill level um, allows that. Uh, but his overall game, uh, his compete and physical play allow him to be an effective bottom six player. Um, is that the way you see the difference between these these two players as well, Steve? Yeah, they, when they play on the same line together, they had really great chemistry, like I said. Uh, and, you know, it's no slight. Uh, on uh, Johnson that he didn't make Team Canada because they, I mean, like I said, it was a loaded team and they were basically one or two goals away from being the greatest World Junior team in the tournament's history. Uh, and so when Beniers made Team USA, I think the intent was to have him almost like uh, the situation in Michigan where he's a new guy and he's one of the youngest guys on the roster. If not, I think he was the youngest forward on the USA roster. And so we'll have him there on a bottom uh, six role, fourth line center, penalty killer, um, he wasn't as dominant. He wasn't like a dominant face-off guy. So it's not like you could say, well, he could be our, our, our checking type who's going to take all the big draws. So when the rosters were finalized and Johnson didn't make it, you kind of understood it. When Beniers was listed as the last forward, you kind of understood it. But what happened was, uh, you know, Team USA, uh, you know, in that first game, uh, I believe they lost to Russia. And so now that you've lost your... Um, or did they beat Rush? I, I forgot what happened. Anyway, anyway in the first game, uh, it became obvious that Team USA was going to have uh, uh, some issues. And so I think they ended up losing to Russia. Now, yeah, they lost by one goal. And so Beniers was then given a chance to play more. And so somehow, well, not really somehow, because of his hustle, like you said, and his hard work and his versatility, his tenaciousness off the puck, his forechecking, finishing his checks, uh, he was able to elevate himself to the second line. So now he goes from being the fourth line guy, really the last forward on the on the roster, to the second line. And on either wing, he has Matt Boldy on one wing, you know, 12th overall pick by Minnesota. 
and Cole Caulfield, the 15th <laughs> overall pick by Montreal in 2019. And Cole Caulfield is one of the best goal scoring prospects we've ever seen. So you would think that, all right, it's a pretty good situation for him to be in and that all Benias really has to do is just, you know, collect a puck every now and again and just give it to one of these talented wingers and they'll do the rest and maybe Benias will get points by default. But actually the opposite uh, rang true where Benias was doing all the work, a little bit of uh, Matt Boldy as well. Uh, and it got to the point where people were criticizing Cole Caulfield that he wasn't doing enough because every time you watch that line on the ice, it was the Benias Boldy combination that was just driving that puck right down the throat uh, of the opposing defenses. And uh, and on top of that, they were also creating offense. I think Benias had a couple of nice, nice plays that led to, uh, to scoring chances and uh, got some points on the board as well. So uh, the points are there. It's uh, We really cannot label Matt Benias as a checking type just because he checks those blocks. It's like Jonathan Taves or Mark Shifley. Like those guys are able to be on the ice late and close. They're able to shut down or be matched up against an opposing top line and still produce uh, while doing their part uh, once they're off the puck in, in their own end. So uh, I'm glad that, you know, his play at Michigan has been so uh, uh, impressive. The production's there to match it. And the one thing we're seeing lately too, Paneers, is he started to shoot the puck more. He's an unselfish player. He's clearly, he's got very good vision because, you know, as a center for, for all the programs, the NTDP, playing for Michigan and even for Team USA, we saw him spot that open man that nobody else expected, uh, uh, you know, no one else expected, especially on that weak side. And so when you have the puck and you're close to the goal, the whole world is expecting you to shoot it. Uh, but Baneers has shown the ability to do either or. He'll either find that backdoor option, he'll, he'll pass it cleanly through traffic, thread the needle, or he'll use his, uh, his, his plus, he's got a plus shot too. I mean, we, we've seen him using it more lately. So uh, I, I think the potential is sky high. I, I think he's, he's my number two ranked player overall in my rankings. Uh, I don't agree that he's a uh, checking type, but as far as what he offers versus what Johnson offers, Johnson's not deficient in the defensive zone. He's actually, he's got a pretty good work ethic as well. And he's an effective four checker. Uh, but I think Beneers just, you know, it's kind of like, I want to win four playoff rounds. So who do I take? Do I take Ken Johnson or do I take Matt Beneers? I, I think if that's what you want, you're going to, you're going to want to grab a guy like Beneers instead. So, uh, you know, both producing really well, but I, I think the slight edge has to go to Beneers because of that that versatility, that his ability to impact shifts way beyond, you know, puck control and scoring. Yeah, I watch as many Michigan games as I can, obviously, because the big three are there this year. And they have, like you mentioned, a lot of other prospects that are fantasy relevant. Um, but it's pretty safe to say that while he's been a highly ranked prospect um, going into this year's draft class, the World Juniors put him in the conversation for first overall. You mentioned earlier that not having the Ivan Halinka was um, made this draft complicated, making ranking this draft complicated because that tournament really is what opens up the season on on the draft class and is your your first opportunity to get some sort of a, a hierarchy or rankings. Maybe a little early for a ranking, but it, it certainly gives you a hierarchy, right? So you already have an idea of what players are are relevant for the draft, then the Halinka comes along and it puts a lot more uh, focus or perspective onto your hierarchy. And then a tournament like the World Juniors can help with that a little bit. Um, 
it certainly if I have a player who I'm watching that's that's a draft eligible player at the World Juniors, if they have a tournament that's so-so or not very impressive, um, that doesn't knock them down on my opinion on them. It wouldn't move them down on on my rankings. Um, but if they have a great tournament yeah. and really stand out, it can absolutely vault them way up. And I think that's what we saw with with Matt Beniers. Um, he had a great tournament. He was an impactful player and he, his game is endearing, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's fun to cheer for this guy because, you know, he competes so hard and you can just see how much he loves playing the game too. Right. So I think the, the world junior certainly had a lot to do with, with putting his, I wouldn't say moving him up in the rankings necessarily, but I think it maybe properly ranked him, put him into uh, a perspective of where he ought to be. Um, so let's talk about uh, the next guy on the list. Uh, so the top three were all forwards. And now it's time to start dipping into the defense class. And the highest ranked defenseman is uh, Brant Clark. Um, I don't think anybody had him ranked number one uh, going into this. But, uh, you know, he he seems to be the one that's that's ahead of some of the other defensemen in this class. Um, I'm talking about guys like Owen Power, uh, Luke Hughes. Uh, so some pretty good competition between those three for sure. Um, what do you like about Brad Clark? Uh, you know, he's just a smooth cat. He's a really smooth, poised, uh, unnerved cat. Uh, you know, when he decided to play, well, he played for Barry last year. Barry yeah. was going nowhere. And then they they made a couple of trades. They got Ty Forster some help. Uh, and then they traded away the defenseman. Why am I forgetting his name? Is it Cade Landry? I think, uh, Barry ended up trading their number one overager defenseman, right? I think it might've been Cade Landry, but anyway, uh, and, uh, so that, that trade kind of coincided with Barry's shift from being a mediocre team to a team that really was going to challenge or be a challenging team if they had the OHL playoffs, cause they had that big top line. And so when I watch it, watch Barry, I'm watching them for, of course, Ty Forster and Ethan Caldwell and Evan Beerling, uh, the forward line. Uh, I'm looking at the defense as well. So now you have a situation where Clark, because of that trade, had to become the number one defenseman for Barry. And so Barry's playing meaningful games. Uh, uh, Clark is, is logging meaningful minutes. He's been using the power play penalty kill. And that's when I started to see why people are considering him potential number one overall pick. Uh, for the 2021 draft. So we already knew him uh, or knew of him. You know, his brother Graham was a devil's draft pick, but used to play for the 67s. And uh, he was a high uh, OHL priority pick as well. And so so it's not like he like came out of nowhere. Uh, and unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to see him in the playoffs. Uh, didn't get a chance to, uh, you know, see him at all. Really, we, we would have seen him at the Ivan Halinka. He probably would have been Canada's number one defenseman there. If, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, and so uh, because he's a 03 birthday, Owen Powers, I believe, a late birthday. So that's why uh, it would have been Clark's team. But in any event, uh, you know, he he decides to take his talents to Slovakia to play in the men's league there. It's called the Tipo Extra Liga uh, for a team called Nova Zamki. I'm I'm guessing I'm pronouncing it kind of okay. Good and for me. Uh, and uh, yeah, on that team. <laughs> On that team, so here's this 17-year-old kid who's playing in a men's league. And those the Slovakian leagues, the, the Slovak league and the Czech league are more physical than the Finnish league or the Russian league. or You know what I mean? So it's a, it's a physical circuit. And uh, so I'm like, oh, this is going to be interesting. So Because the OHL is a little bit of a like, kind of a run-and-gun league now. 
And uh, I was really impressed with how quickly he adapted. The, the confidence that this kid has uh, handling the puck is through the roof. He He's never met a, a breakout opportunity that he didn't like. He'll take the puck go end-to-end. He'll spin off a checks. I mean, and uh, so he's got everything you'd really want. I mean, he's got size. He's 6'1", 185. Uh, right shot. So we all know teams like that. So I'm not going to go as far as to say he's going to be like this player, but I'm just saying what he kind of reminds me of uh, maybe a, a Scott Niedermeyer type without the elite skating. Like I think his skating is good and he definitely has escapability and is, I don't have any issues with his mechanics. Uh, but Niedermeyer, of course, is like once in a lifetime type of a skating defenseman where, you know, Niedermeyer was compared to Paul Coffey and Coffey's one of the greatest skating defensemen of all time. So I, I'm not going to say that Clark is at, at that level, but in terms of puck management and on ice leadership and decision making confidence in the passes, always making himself available to his partner. That's a big thing I look for. You know, sometimes you see defensemen always skating near their partner. Like, what the heck? Give me some room. I, you know, we got to spread out uh, to you know, the, when you bunch up, you just make it easier for the four checkers. And so uh, just an incredibly small kid. In the beginning, his production wasn't really there. Uh, I, don't, I, think, uh, I think I wrote it in the write-up that uh, he didn't have a point in 14 of his first 17 games there. But yeah. now he's starting to pick up the production. And that's just natural. This kid's in freaking Slovakia. He's not Slovakia. I don't think he has family there. Like It's a complete change of environment going from Barry, Ontario to... Uh, wherever he is in Slovakia. So, uh, and his brother was there, I guess, to kind of, I guess, make the transition a little bit uh, easier. Uh, But you're looking at a a guy with an elite shot. So his wrist shot or slap shot, mostly mainly the wrist shot from the high point is good enough to not only, uh, you know, create a a rebound issue for the goalie, but but score as well. I mean, he's got a plus-plus shot. So you're looking at a, a power play quarterback type, number one franchise caliber defenseman, uh, you know, 40, 50, 60 points a season, a little bit of Brent Burns. I said a little bit of Scott Niedermeyer. I mean, there's a lot to like about this kid. Uh, and he's got that edge to his game. I mean, he, he's taking some pretty nasty penalties, too. He's, elbow, he's elbowing people. He's slashing them. Uh, so he's got a little bit of bite in his game as well. So I like him a lot. Uh, if you want to put him for, in the running for first overall, I could see why. Uh, and and I this is a situation where I'm really happy that his move to Slovakia has worked out for him. Uh, because he could have gone there and, and not done a whole lot. Uh, and even in the game, remember I said, he only points in 14 to 17 games. But he was still like a number number two or three defenseman there. He was on the power play. He was on the ice when they're down a goal late. Uh, on the ice when there's a critical defensive zone drill when they're trying to hold the lead. So uh, he was still impacting the game or impacting his shifts without producing points. But we all know the kid can produce points, so... If he was in the OHL this year and it was a full season, you're probably looking at an, an 80 to 85 point season. Uh, that he's that good with the puck. So, uh, but, but really, uh, I'm I'm happy things are working out for him because it's a bold move. Not a lot of kids were able to do it. He did, and it's worked out great. Yeah, I like this kid too. I watched him uh, a few times with uh, when he was with the Don Mills Flyers, um, mainly because I was watching Shane Wright. Right, yeah. like you know, and I, I knew that the front knacks were in a position to draft Shane Wright. So I was pretty excited about that being a, a Kingston native and that I was going to get to see a lot of, a lot of Shane Wright live missing that this year. Um, and so as I'm watching the Don Mills games, I'm, you know, you can't help but notice this, this Brad Clark kid, he's their number one defenseman. He was on the ice. It, it seemingly 
perpetually. Like it almost seemed like he never came off the ice. And that season he had 113 points in 73 games. Now, yeah. Don Mills was a loaded, loaded team. One of the, the best teams in probably recent GTHL history. Um, but, uh, we, you know, he stood out. He didn't have any like glaring weaknesses in his game. Uh, he had, you know, his size was a definite advantage at 16 years old over the competition. His skating, like you said, I was like, man, this kid's going to jump right into the OHL. His, his skating is it's already at a level where, you know, his, his backward skating is, is, is almost as fast as most other players' forward skating. Yeah. Um, his balance was, was outstanding. His edge work was great. Um, his shot was his vision for the game, you know, offensively and defensively. There didn't seem to be any holes in his game. And then playing in the OHL last season as a rookie, 38 points in 57 games, not too shabby. Um, like you said, he's, he's a physical player as well. So, well, for fantasy purposes, I tend to put a lot more emphasis on, on forwards than defensemen. Um, it's, there's not a lot to not like about Brant Clark, other than the fact that he's not a forward looking at a fantasy point of view uh, i guess that's why he ranks number fourth yeah fifth ranked guy on this list is jesper wallstadt the swedish goaltender um going into the world juniors uh the guest i had talking about uh team sweden we were we were discussing their goaltending and how um hugh Olnefelt played for them the season before uh was very strong in goal for sweden and then he would be the incumbent going in um, and he agreed with that based on, you know, politics and their resumes, but he was, didn't mix any bones about it. He said, despite that, I think Jesper Wallstadt is the much better goalie between the two. And if I were the coach, that's the guy that I would play, but I don't think that's the guy that they're going to play. Um, and then we watched the tournament and while he was, he was pretty much right, you know, Alnefelt played more games, but I thought they should have played Wallstadt more than Alnefelt. Not that. Hugo played poorly, but I just think Wallstadt's the better goalie. Um, the last few drafts have had some outstanding goaltenders in Spencer Knight and Yaroslav Askarov, and it looks like he's in the same kind of category as as those two goalies. Uh, usually goalies don't go in the first round of the draft these days anymore, but I think it's safe to say that Wallstadt's not only a lock for the first round, but he's a contender for top 10 top five sure um and we had someone rank them number one yeah uh so is that so how does he rack rack up against um spencer knight and yaroslav askarov who he went head to head with in in the world juniors and i thought he held his own quite well uh so people will have those assets in their fantasy league if you're looking for a franchise goalie um and you got those three guys to choose from where do you, where do you, at this point, where would you rank Wallstad in that, in that class? Well, I, I still think that, that Spencer Knight, I mean, this is a, that's actually a really tough question because goalies at this age, I mean, it's so yeah. difficult to assess them and, uh, you know, whether it be from a mechanical standpoint or, you know, upside, whatever you want to say, uh, all three of those goalies have definitely done their part, uh, to validate them going first, uh, in the first round. Remember, like, you know, people were trending downwards or towards the idea of getting a goalie in the first round. And now we're going to look at the third straight year, what's going to happen with Wallstead. Uh, you know, Knight, it, you, you, know, you can barely score against the guy. He's just absolutely dominating college hockey. And I'm not even going to get to the stats because, you know, the, the, the leagues vary. Uh, goal scoring varies from league to league. 
So, like, for example, it's a lot easier to score in the Swedish J20 Super Elite than it is to score in college hockey and so on. So, uh, but what I like about Wallstead, uh, uh, as opposed to Knight or Askarov, is that while Askarov played against mostly men in his half season, and really Askarov's season in 1920 was a half season. He barely played after, I want to say, uh, like January 10th or something. He played like two games. Uh, but that Askarov played in the VHL. It's a men's league. It's adult age. Uh, and he was kind of like, he wasn't the number one, but he was kind of like splitting duties. Uh, Spencer Knight in his draft year played for the NTDP, which is you're basically playing only junior age kids. What I like about Wallstead is he is playing not only in the elite SHL against adults, but like the best, you know, Swedish league out there. And we all know that the SHL is probably neck and neck with the KHL is the best non-NHL league in the world. The thing is, though, is that Wallstead is playing for a freaking powerhouse, Lulea. And they are the number one or number two team in the league this year. I think uh, they've they've had a couple of losses the last few games. It's between them and Rogla. But Lulea is like a legit program, okay? They, they are the team that, uh, you know, they've been making a mincemeat out of everybody uh, this past season. Very tough to score against. They got a bunch of NHL prospects on there. Uh, you know, Noel Gundler played for them last year. Uh, this year, in the years prior, they had Nils Lundqvist, a really good range of defenseman, a uh, prospect. Uh, and so, Wallstead, within that context, he's not a number one because he splits duties, but uh, you know, he he was posting some really impressive numbers. Uh, one loss wise, you name it, goals against, save percentage. Uh, the thing is, though, he doesn't see a lot of rubber, and that's not really his fault. That's because he plays for a really good team, and his last few games haven't been all that great. I think uh, I think Malmo beat him up pretty bad. Actually, got him yanked. Uh, but that, that happens with these goalies. Carey Price gets yanked. Henrik Lundqvist got yanked. Uh, but speaking of Lundqvist, if you talk to the Swedish uh, goalie people and the Swedish hockey types, they'll tell you that in their mind that Wallstead is the best goaltending prospect they've had really almost ever uh, going all the way back, let's say, 30 years. Uh, you want to go back to Pelly Lindbergh, you go back to Pelly Lindbergh or Tommy Salo. Uh, I, I, I'd throw Henrik Lundqvist in there, but he wasn't all that heralded. Uh, Lundqvist was a late round pick. Yeah. Uh, so, but, uh, stylistically Wallstead is, has said, I, I model my game after Hendrik, Henrik Lundqvist. He stays deep in the net. He, he's absolutely dominates the lower half. Um, so from a maturity standpoint, is the NHL ready? Probably not. Has to probably maybe get a year or two in the, uh, in the AHL to get used to the North American game and all that, you know, traffic in front of the net is a big thing. You get a lot more traffic in front of the net in the North American game than you do in the European game. Uh, and this is just an observation I've made over the years. So how how is he going to adapt? Well, he's a big guy. You know, what is he, like 6'3", 200 pounds, but he's quick. He could fight through screens. Uh, but the fact that he's putting up pretty impressive numbers uh, in a men's league as a basically uh, as a number one A on one of the best teams in the league, that means a lot to me. So uh, I, I've even tweeted it out. I said, hey, you want to take Jesper Wallstead first overall? Be my guest. I will not complain about it. The issue is going to be convincing everybody else, if that's what your thing is, uh, that, uh, hey, we're taking a goalie over these really flashy point producers. Uh, but I see no reason why we can't say he's going to be a franchise number one. This guy's been been playing above his age group for years. When he was 16, he was playing at the U18 level. When he was you know, 17, he was playing at the U20 level. Uh, and now that he's uh, 17, 18, he's playing against men. Uh, so uh, definitely a guy that you want to earmark as a legitimate candidate uh, to be a number one franchise goalie in the NHL. Interesting. I think we, we spoke pretty favorably about Brandon Clark, and I think he's got 
number one defenseman, maybe not, you know, franchise player upside, but number one defenseman upside. And we talk about Jasper Wallstadt and he's got number one goalie franchise upside, uh, you know, Olympic gold medal kind of future potential. Um, and they're not even the, the, the top one or two ranked guys in this draft. And right off the top, right on the hopper on this podcast, we talked about how this doesn't have any, any franchise players. So I guess we're not calling these guys that like we do with some players in their draft year is saying this guy is going to be that draft him as soon as you can. I think with this draft, we're looking at a couple of guys who have the potential to develop into that. Yes. Um, And then there's some other guys who maybe don't have that kind of upside, but look like they're a little bit more of a sure thing. Um, A lower, a lower floor, but not as high a ceiling. Maybe, you know, we're talking Eklund and Beniers here. Yeah. All right. Uh, so basically, to sum up what you just said, Jasper Wallstadt, very good. If you have to choose between one of the three, there is no wrong choice. Yeah. <laughs> they're, all, they're all the same boat. They're all the same yeah. boat. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I don't want to spend, you know, 10 hours going through every player and having long conversations about all 32 players that were ranked on this list. But, I mean, we're still in the top five here. So... Let's hit a few more names. Uh, Owen Power is the next ranked guy uh, going back on the blue line here and back to Michigan with their with their third player. I mean, he might be the one between the three of them that is drafted first out of the three, or he could even possibly be right, drafted first overall. Uh, a lot of draft rankings have Owen Power at number one. So on the fantasy rankings, he drops down to six, which I find very fascinating. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that. His NHL value seems to be outweighing his fantasy value. Yeah, he's a, he's a, just an outstanding in-game manager. Now, from a point production standpoint, his uh, he's the leading scorer amongst freshman defensemen. And the reason why that's a big deal is he's a first-year draft eligible, so you rarely get those in college hockey. And that, you know, freshman... In the in college hockey, they're not always fresh out of high school. Like you know, the normal is you, you graduate high school and then you go on to college as a freshman. Well, uh, uh, with the case of college hockey, is a lot of these kids they'll stay in the USHL for a couple of years, right? They'll they'll maintain the, uh, their uh, eligibility and they get to you know develop their game. So a lot of times these kids will be uh, freshmen, but they'll be about twenty years old or maybe sometimes even twenty one years old. Whereas in Clark's case, he was basically, I think he was 17 or 18 going in. And he just turned 18. Uh, so he's a pure freshman and he's the leading scorer, you know, amongst his peers, right? His peers being, you know, first year defenseman in college hockey. Uh, and unlike Johnson, a lot of his points are meaningful and they're of the primary variety, uh, variety of five on five. Now, a big reason for this is because they have Cam York and Cam York, you know, first round pick of the flies in 2019. He was on the USA World Junior Team. I believe he was the captain. And yeah. so when you have a guy like that already in his, I believe, second year of Michigan, you're not going to just say, well, here's this own power guy. He's got higher upside than you, so we're going to like make him the number one. So uh, on the Michigan power play, it, it, in the beginning, it was uh, much like the NTDP, the way that they ran it was Cam York running the point and then four forwards. But uh, little by little, it's like, all right, this own power guy, we need to kind of incorporate him into this attack. And so he'd be out there as well with the four forward unit, or he'd be on the points with Cam York as well. So you would have the two D and three forward look. Uh, And what that tells me is that tells me that the coaching staff acknowledges that this guy has the potential to put up a lot of points and facilitate and run a power play. He did that with Chicago in the USHL last year. 
uh, and he's obviously doing it this year again with Michigan. Uh, Hobie Baker, candidate, no doubt. Uh, I don't know if he's going to win it because he's so young. Uh, but you're looking at a guy who's, you know, I, to me, he's a throwback. You know, and I'm going to date myself here. I don't care. But hmm. I, he's like a combination of Larry Robinson, uh, Kevin Hatcher, and Larry Murphy. And, you know, two of those guys being Hall of Famers, and Kevin Hatcher was on track for a Hall of Fame career, but injuries kind of derailed it. Uh, but a big, mobile in-game manager. He could. He he's not like overly physical and nasty in a Robinson kind of a way, but he is physical. He just you see him give a lot of hard shoves and cross checks to the back of guys in front of the net. Uh, you know, so I, this is another case where we talked about earlier, where like Johnson, you're not seeing him shoot the puck as much as you'd like him to. Uh, that probably has to do more with the fact uh, that he's being unselfish and the roster uh, that he has to uh, uh, play with. But his shot production has increased. So instead of getting one to two every shots a game, he's now getting three and four shots every game. Uh, and he's got a great shot. He's got a very hard slapper. They have set plays for him. He'll activate a ton. Uh, he, you know, he, he's almost like a fourth forward out there sometimes. The difference between, I would say, Power and Clark. Uh, and, uh, you know, for this uh, particular ranking, I have uh, Power ranked ahead of Clark. And I have Power as the number one defenseman. Is the fact that, he could do, he could, he's a real elite playmaker. I'm not saying that Clark isn't a, isn't a good playmaker, but power could almost, is almost like a forward out there sometimes. I mean, some of the passes he makes forehand or backhand, incredibly creative, very sharp mind. Uh, so I think that it's almost like the catcher in baseball where the pitchers all want to pitch to him. Uh, you know, they, they like the game he calls. I think a lot of forwards like being on the ice with, with Owen Power out there because he, he draws so much attention away from them. And that's where the time and space comes into play. So uh, he's my number one ranked guy for the draft. He's my number one overall rank, uh, non-fantasy wise. Uh, I think the sky's the limit for him. All right. That's pretty good. Uh, do you see any lasses in uh, judgment or decision making in his game? Because I've caught some wind of that from uh, from some of the prospect writers uh, recently. Uh, I don't want to disparage anybody's opinion, but I, I they, they would have to come up with a very detailed report on that because I've been watching this kid now for the first time I saw him he was 16 uh, yeah. in Youngstown way back in 2018. I got a chance to see him play. Uh, when he was with Chicago and I, it's it, his IQ. I've tweeted out examples of his hockey IQ and how high it is to be able to process multiple options in a, in a second's time. It's very rare. It's a gift. It's innate. Uh, you, it's, it's something that these top prospects don't really learn. They're just born with it. And I've never once seen him make the types of mistakes that are so egregious. We're like, oh, what, what, what was he thinking? Well, what a selfish play. Why is he like putting his teammate in a bad spot? Uh, to me, his hockey IQ is through the roof. And I've actually tweeted it out. I said it, and I'll stand by it, that since I've been covering the draft, uh, since 2015, he is the smartest defense prospect I've seen, hands down. It's not even close. And that includes Rasmus Dahlin. That includes uh, Ivan Provorov. Uh, you know, this kid is a fantastic in-game manager. So if people want to criticize decision-making, you're going to have to quantify that in some way. You're going to have to say, okay, well, I watched this game. He made 45 passes. And of those 45 passes, 22 were picked off or intercepted or forced and you know, something like that. Because if you're just going to make a, you know, if you're going to put a game on one day and he makes a bad decision that leads to a scoring chance, you can't just walk away from that and say, oh, well, he's a bad decision maker. You got to really build some type of storyline and say, okay, he made mistakes in this one game. Is he going to do it the next game? 
Is he going to do with the game after that? Is this a trend or is it just, it is, was he sick? Did he have COVID? Like there's so many things that to factor in. If you're going to go label a kid uh, to have a low hockey IQ or to be a bad decision maker, uh, when all the reports are against that, you're going to have to kind of quantify that in some way. And I haven't seen that yet. I've just seen people make kind of blanket statements like, I don't like his decision making. All right. Well, how, uh, yeah. you know, so, uh, but again, to each his own, they want to say that fine, but I, I vehemently, vehemently, vehemently disagree <laughs> with the idea that Owen Power has a low hockey IQ. It's almost like saying like uh, Lawrence Taylor isn't a good defensive player or that Dominic Hasha couldn't make big saves. It's, it just boggles my mind. But you know, like I said, it's an opinion based industry and uh, everyone's entitled to theirs. Opinions are like assholes. Everyone's got one. Yep. 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 All right. Moving on in the rankings, we got a couple of wingers here back to back who, uh, were who scored very similarly uh dylan gunther and fabian lysel so um when most people contributed the rankings to these which was a few weeks ago now uh dylan gunther was one of those players who hadn't played a game yet this season so they were basically just going off his rookie season in in the dub which was pretty good yeah uh, and since then uh he's been able to get back on the ice in the dub and he's been on fire i think he had a hat trick in his first game or something like that and i think he's got um two points a game that he's scoring yeah. at right now. So, uh, you know, I think it's probably, I haven't looked at a lot of draft rankings in the last week or so, but he's probably moving up pretty quickly. Uh, and then Fabian Lysel playing over in the SHL has been playing all season long and his point production over there isn't really eye popping. He's got three points in 24 games. So obviously there's a massive massive difference between the dub and the SHL. One's a pro league with men and one's got a bunch of teenagers in it. Um, so let's talk about these two players. And uh, if you have any concern about Lysel's offensive upside based on his uh, stats, I mean, um, we see lots of guys who are highly ranked prospects playing in, in the SHL that, that aren't producing a lot of points there uh, and then still are, are more than fantasy relevant when they make it to the NHL. So let's talk about these two guys a little bit and what their, their offensive upside could be like. Yeah. I, I love them both. I'm a little bit higher on Gunther than I am on, on Lysol. But uh, the thing is for first of all with Gunther. And like you said, I mean, the, the fact that people, he was always in my top 10. Uh, and I always consider him a candidate to go first overall. I know uh, hockey Canada has been pushing that like, Hey, you know, don't, don't forget about us. Like we, we have some pretty good quality players too, just because of, the European leagues going on, there was a lot of uh, attention was paid towards the Swedish types and the Finnish types and the Russian types and the American types. But you know, now that the dub is back on, you know, Dylan Gunther, what I loved about him, there were two examples that I, I, I used to consider him a top 10 pick or even a top five pick. And that was number one, the way he played for Team Canada, I believe it was Team Canada White at the U-17 World Hockey Challenge uh, where this kid, he's wiry, right? He's like six foot, uh, but like 160, 165, all right? Maybe 170, but he's a wiry kid. And, and you would think like, okay, so he's this wiry playmaking finesse type based on his measurements, uh, but he's not a center, he's a wing. Uh, but he was out there throwing the body. He's killing penalties. He's got, he's hitting after the whistle, even illegally. Sometimes I like that. All right, so it means that it goes back to what I said uh, about um, uh, Eklund, 
where, you know, it shows that you're involved in the game. You know, there's a human element to this game, not just with stats and scoring, whatever. Like, if two teams don't like each other and it gets chippy in the beginning, then that impacts the way that the game is played. You know, things tighten up. It's more difficult to score, especially if one team is pushing back as hard as the other team is pushing. And so with Gunther in those games, he does not change his style. He's a very engaged young man who offers you a lot more than just playmaking. The playmaking is freaking fantastic. It's through the roof. So he, uh, much like Brand Clark, is a highly regarded kid. I think he was the first overall Bantam pick uh, for Edmonton. And the other thing that I noticed with him last year was that he played on Edmonton's top line, and Edmonton was kind of like, a, I don't want to say a rebuilding team, but from a previous uh, list, uh, seasons prior, they were like an up-and-coming team, uh, not necessarily a powerhouse. But he, by himself almost, made that top line a threat every night. And he played on a line with Jake Neighbors. He was a first-round pick of the Blues, uh, kind of like a rugged, physical type. So they had a really good uh, uh, marriage, on-ice marriage, where, you know, you have the skill and the grit with the, you know, the power and, and the grit, and it worked out. So what does he have, like 10 points in his first four games this season? Uh, he tried to play in the AJHL for Sherwood Park, which is a big-time program in the Alberta Junior Hockey League. And he was okay, but he only played like two or three games so it seems like uh, he might have been watching the rankings. Like, wait, some people are ranking me in the 15s and 20s. Why? Because I'm not playing. I'll show them. And then he shows up and he has these uh, great showings early on in this uh, this WHL season. So, uh, I know, there's a lot to like about him. I think he, he's another one that you could earmark as a potential first overall pick. There's really not uh, – there's just a whole bunch uh, to like about his game. Uh, Liesel is an interesting story because he was playing for Frolunda. And Frolunda uh, is the, you know, the Montreal Canadiens, I guess. Maybe I, I could be over, overstating this, but they're like the big name franchise in Sweden. And when it comes to uh, recruits and getting the top talent, they seem to have the edge over most of the programs in Sweden. So this year's 03 group, late 02-03 group, was a very good one for Frolunda. And when you watch them play in the J20 League, they were scoring like freaking 11, 10, 11 goals a game. I mean, the, they, they have all these high NHL draft picks on it. Even Lucas Raymond played for them a couple of games last year. Uh, and so within that context, you have a guy like Liesel. He was on the top line playing for Fralunda. Uh, but it was very obvious early on into his J20 season that he was just too good for the league. So you look at the points, you're like, all right, yeah, what do you have, like 13 points in, in 11 games? Well, the big reason behind that was the fact that there were so many forwards on that squad, it's just not enough ice time for him. But in like his, I guess his top six role, 58 shots in 11 games. I mean, that is, that's almost six shots a game. That's crazy. Uh, well, at least well over five shots a game. So uh, I don't know the specifics of the deal, but uh, for whatever reason, he wanted out. He didn't want to be with Furland anymore. He wanted to get uh, traded to another team. Uh, and eventually he did. And he got traded to, uh, to Lulea, which is that top program again. And I was watching him closely because, you know, Liesel being a, a high-volume shooting, sniping, right wing, right shot on a team like Lule, a competitive team, same situation like it was last year for Noel Gunler. Now, Noel Gunler was, was a guy that last year people were saying, oh, my God, he's not in your top 10. He's a top 10 talent. I'm like, I don't know. I don't see. When I watch him play, I see a one-dimensional type. So, uh, and of course, Gunler ended up getting traded from Lule to, I think, Brinis because he wanted more ice time. So that's how I was going to, observe Liesel this year was like not only did he force a trade which might be a little bit of a red flag sometimes when a young kid uh forces a trade not only did he force a trade but now he's forced a trade to a rival 
And on that rival, they're deep and they're good. And how's he going to fit into that that uh, situation? So as expected, he was on the fourth line. But, I mean, this kid's effort has been off the charts. Uh, and I watched a couple of games with him where he, he played about anywhere from like 11 to 12 minutes, which I think is enough. Uh, but against a competitive team, uh, one game I watched him play against uh, Rogla. And, and this kid is – the thing about him that stands out besides the shot proclivity is the speed. I mean, he's got excellent speed. He's probably one of the fastest skating wingers in the draft. But um, it's just the overall decision-making, knowing where to position himself, supporting his forwards and defensemen down low, uh, engaging in puck battles. You know, when you play for a really good team, you're not going to be asked to score. Chances are the coach is like, listen, just stay out of trouble. You know, we're not going to use you on the penalty kill. You might see some power play time. What I want you to do is just work with your line mates, be, in a, be aggressive, be dangerous, but at the same time be responsible. And he's checking all those blocks. So he's the kind of kid where if he played in the, in the CHL or he played in the USHL, he'd be putting up well over a point a game and uh, posting all these gaudy stats. But he's a kid who's who's basically, for this scenario, but playing with a top contending team in Lulea, he's staying within himself. But on occasion, you'll see the burst into open ice, the attacking the net uh, with authority and power. And so, um, you know, I think they're two different types of wingers. I do think that Liesel can be a playmaker, a pass-first type if he wanted to. But you're looking at, Gunther being the pass-first type who could score goals if asked. Liesel being the shoot-first type who could set up plays if asked. So, I mean, a little different types of players, but uh, got to give the edge to Gunther simply because uh, he's always had that pedigree and uh, looks like he's going to be, uh, you know, one of the top scorers in the WHL this season. Yeah. Um, you know, I put out a, a tweet a few days ago Um just before the fantasy ranking came out with a poll on it saying, who would you take first overall in your fantasy draft? And I made options like, um, I think it was Owen Power, Eklund, and Beneers or something to that effect. And then the fourth option was was Other. And if you pick that, you know, put in the comments below who it's going to be. And the comment thread was, was pretty heavy. Dylan Gunther, um, heavy. Um... You know, a lot of people think that he has a chance to go first overall in the NHL draft um, and or at least be in consideration for it. No one had him ranked higher than fourth overall on their fantasy ranking for this. So I really like the sleeper potential here for a great value pick if you can have a value pick in the top 10 of a draft uh with dylan gunther um it looks like he's he's a guy that a lot of people are quietly really high on and, and he, he might be sliding under the radar a little bit in this draft so in a draft that's kind of weak you, you look for things like that you look for guys who could be the david pasternak who's who's in 10 years or five years from now we look back on the draft and you think how could you have not picked that guy first or second like those look at the teams that passed on him and who they got instead so I wonder if that ends up being Dylan Gunther in a few years' time. Uh, time will tell. Um, the next defenseman on this list is Luke Hughes. We all know the Hughes family real well. So Luke Hughes ranks ninth, and he comes in behind uh, Clark and Owen Power. And for an NHL draft ranking list, I really don't have a problem with that. But for a fantasy one, um, you know, I haven't seen as much of, of Luke Hughes play as you have. Um, my initial thought is, 
how does he compare to Quinn? Is he the same kind of player? Because if he's anything like Quinn Hughes, he should be the the top ranked defenseman, I would think. I mean, the guy was candidate for the Calder Trophy as a rookie. His his offensive upside is through the roof, so he's very translatable to to fantasy. Um, and the Hughes brothers have gone on record saying, like, yeah, we're good, but wait for Luke. He's he's the best one out of the three of us. Is that just you know brotherly love pumping up their their bro, or uh, and how does he compare to to Quinn? What's your take on Luke Hughes? Uh, he, stylistically, he compares to Quinn. Absolutely. Uh, he's a bigger body, though. I think he's like 6'2". Uh, so basically, you have a 6'2 Quinn Hughes. Uh, and he is he's just fun to watch. He's a lot of fun to watch. Now, the one thing about the, 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 the NTDP that Quinn Hughes played for, and then in his draft year, the Michigan team he played for, was not that deep. So they really leaned on Quinn to be the, the like that on-ice general, right? So... Uh, you know, usually like that's the 2016-17 NTDP was a one-line team. Quinn was on that as a draft minus one, and he was able to kind of like do his own thing. Most of the other defensemen on that squad were physical types, whereas and then he goes to Michigan, same thing. He's the finesse guy, the leader. Uh, this year's NTDP is very deep, has a lot of skill forwards on it, and it also has a lot of skilled defensemen as well. Uh, so Luke Hughes, uh, from a stylistic standpoint, the skating, the, just the, the the cleanliness of his stride, how smooth he is, his grace, the fluidity of his movements. I mean, it is all like Quinn, okay? And it, it's no surprise. I mean, if they, they get the same instruction uh, from their families and their coaches and whoever's been developing them throughout the years, uh, it's no surprise that the Hughes, Hughes brothers, all three of them, uh, are known for their skating, their agility, their edge work, uh, it, you know, just so many factors that uh, – involved in skating not just speed uh when it comes to speed it's fantastic he could go into end in a hurry he does that usually once or twice a game he's the i I don't want to say he's the primary power play quarterback but he certainly acts and looks like one uh when you have a power play stacked as the ntdp uh has got so uh i i get i get why people would want to compare him to quinn hughes uh the one thing that he does uh, from a point production standpoint, that is impressive to me is that, you know, the NTDP schedule is usually broken up into three parts, right? They have the international portion of the schedule where they play the, the U18 teams of the other nations. They have the USHL schedule, which is their major junior opponents. And then they have the college schedule, which is usually against the big name programs, right? The Michigans and the Wisconsin's and the Boston universities and the North Dakotas. Well, this year, because of COVID, there's no international tournament, right? We won't be there. Won't be one until, like I said, the U18 Worlds in April, uh, early May. Uh, the college schedule has been a. Uh, I don't want to disrespect the colleges, but it's been a joke. Some of the colleges that the NTDP players have played this year, uh, it's been a very easy. I mean, we were talking about Division One and Div- Division One A and Division Two level quality competition. It's almost like, uh, you know, freaking you know, the, the top uh, Memorial company team in Canada playing like a U.S. Uh, Bantam team. I mean, that's, that's the big, how big of a disparity can be. And, uh, and so all we really have to go off of is how well he's played against the USHL uh, quality or portion of his schedule. And he's been great. And so uh, the other thing that I look at uh, is that he's, uh, his risk taking is a little more, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, there's a lot more danger inherent in the risk that he takes than when Quinn used to do, uh, when he was at that same age, maybe handling the puck or overhandling it a little bit too much near his line. 
uh, still learning the position, how to defend the two-on-one, little things like that, which are all fixable, of course. But as far as point production goes, he's a leading scoring defenseman on the NTDP. He's running their top power play unit, or he just knows how to facilitate it. Uh, he's got a hard shot, outstanding shot, actually. He's very accurate, much like his brother. And so uh, I could see why. I mean, if you're going to say he's Quinn Hughes' brother and they say he's better, better rank him in the top five, maybe even first overall. But uh, looking at it from a, a non-fantasy standpoint, I would say, you, you know, there are some minor concerns that we got to work on. But from a fantasy standpoint, I mean, you're looking at uh, a Zach Wierenski type, a guy that's going to be able to uh, impact the game with his wheels, with his playmaking, with his vision, with his shot. Uh, and so uh, you, you pretty much get all the areas, uh, the, the key stat areas get checked uh, when it comes to Hughes because he could shoot it, he could pass it, and uh, he's going to log a lot of minutes in the game to get uh, plenty of opportunities. You know, we opened this podcast talking about how uh, this draft class is on the weak side and it, comparing it to some of the more uh, indifferent drafts in the last decade. And maybe it's one of the more underrated drafts. I mean, a lot of the guys that we've we've delved into in depth here um, are players who I'd be quite happy to draft in my fantasy league and stash them on my prospect bench for a year or two and see where they go. I mean, we're talking about players who are comparing favorably with, with fantasy-relevant players uh, and have pretty good upside. And just wrapping up the top 10, now we come we come full circle and talk about Atu Razu, we, who off the hop we, we kind of mentioned a little bit and how he was the consensus number one, um, uh, you know, long range looking at this draft, and, and he slipped all the way down to 10. But, I mean, you don't get consideration for first overall two years before your draft class with for no reason, right? Like, the fact that he hasn't progressed very much this year uh, is certainly a major red flag. That's one of the most important things that scouts look for is, you know, how how are you progressing here? How are you developing? Because, you know, you don't want to use your first overall draft pick on a player who is as good as he's ever going to get. Right. Like you want players who will be their very best version of themselves five years from now, you know, much better than they are now. It's it's projection. Um, so, yeah, basically what I'm saying is um, I kind of like all the things you're saying here, Steve. These these are some some fantasy relevant players. Yeah. Uh, certainly it's not it's not as good as as some of the players we've seen in, in recent drafts. There's there's no. There's no super high-end guy here who you can, you know, there's no Alexis Lafreniere you can insert onto your roster right away. But, um, you know, that hasn't worked out so well in the last few years either. You know, Capo Caco, Alexis Lafreniere, Jack Hughes, those guys didn't go first overall. And then you insert them on your fantasy roster and you go from, you know, last place to a contender right away. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's there's a lot to like in this draft. Um, so that's the top 10 of the fantasy rankings. Uh, there's a couple other players who I thought were really interesting. And the the range in which all the contributors had them ranked. And one guy in particular you had in your top 10. Uh, some people had him ranked lower. Some people didn't have him ranked. Uh, and that is, I don't know how to pronounce his name right, but Sasha... Uh, Pasijov. Pasijov, thanks. I was going to say Pasijov, but that was close. Uh, so tell me a little bit about this guy. I'm pretty sure he plays for uh, the American USNDP team as well. Uh, so you've seen him play quite a bit. Um, yeah. yeah. What's your file on him? 
Sniper. He's a he's a, he's a hard shooting sniper. I mean, I mean, not just a sniper though, because he's a, he's a dual threat. Because he could be as a playmaker, just as good of a playmaker as he can be a sniper. But uh, they they've crafted. They mean the NTDP and the, their coaching staff. They've crafted a number of set plays for this guy to just wind it up and fire it. So he's a left shot playing on the right wing. Uh, but here's a guy that you're going to see uh, not only be a high-volume shooter and be a power play fixture, uh, much like a Patrick Laine or Alexander Ovechkin, where we just see the whole entire power play is geared towards one guy unloading it, and the opposition knows that, and so it really becomes a cat-and-mouse game over you know whether you know the guy's going to get the shots off or you're going to try to neutralize him. And more times than not, He's going to get his shots off. I mean, uh, he's going to, and if he misses the net, he misses the net. Uh, but as far as like being that, having that presence, he's about 6'1", 180. He's a physical kid. His skating, I think, is very underrated because I've never really seen it as a major problem. And you're, you're looking at a goal scorer, right? So it's not like you want a guy to be like this blazing thoroughbred. Uh, he's a goal scorer, and goal scorers need to know how to get open. They need to know how to release the puck quickly. They need to know how to hit the, not just hit the net, but hit the corners and make the goalie work for his saves. And Pastor Joe does all that. So his points per game right now is, uh, I think it's like at like 1.70. And if it stands, it's going to be like the third or fourth highest in the program's history. And that's uh, only less than, let's say, Jack Hughes or Clayton Keller. So you're looking at a guy in the Alex Turcotte, uh, 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 you know, uh, category when it comes to points per game. Now, the one thing that I liked about Pastor and why games had such a huge rank uh, bump in the rankings was that that top line, the NTDP's top line a year ago, was uh, left wing Dylan Duke, a center named Chaz Lucius, and then the right side, the right wing, was Pastor And at the World U17 Hockey Challenge in November of 19, they, they just tore up the tournament. I think all three were the top three scorers. They, they had no, no one had an answer for Lucius. No one had an answer for Pastor So that off the bat was like, all right, this kid's obviously a big deal. He's going to be one of the top prospects coming out of the NTDP for the upcoming draft. Well, Lucius got hurt to start this season. So when the NTDP kicked off their campaign, it was going to be without Lucius. So they had to kind of do some shuffling, but the top line still had the likes of Pastor on one wing and then Dylan Duke on the other. And his production without Lucius was freaking through the roof. I mean, he was over, averaging over about 1.80 points a game. And now that Lucius is back, the thing is, is Lucius himself is a shooter. He's got a very good, uh, uh, you know, he's got the knack for scoring goals. And so it's almost like uh, when you watch them play, you know, Dylan Duke leads the team in goal scoring. He's like almost, I think, got 30 goals in 20 games. So how, how do you have three goal scorers on one line? Uh, and how do you share the puck? How do you figure out who gets the set plays, who gets the shots? So um, even within this uh, environment, a guy like Pasajov is still able to contribute, still able to get his shots off, still able to score. And so I just think, you know, you're looking at a high-volume shooting winger who could finish, uh, but also, you know, I think he's got like 25 goals and 25 assists. So he's the leading scorer on the team, and uh, this type of versatility, uh, on the puck at least, and be that lethal threat in the power play. It's not like he's he's always just shooting the puck on the power play. He knows how to move the puck around as well. And he's a pretty good uh, two-way type. He knows how to position his stick and, you know, aggressive on the forecheck. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely higher on him than most. I have him ranked, I think, fifth overall in my normal rankings. But from a fantasy standpoint, yeah, he's a goal scorer. I mean, he's a guy that shoots the puck 
with authority and, and the other team knows it. And so I don't see that trend stopping anytime soon. I think as he progresses, he's committed to Notre Dame. He's actually not going to go to Michigan like his two brothers. Uh, so he's going to go to Notre Dame. They got a pretty big class coming in. Uh, don't see him lasting there all that long. And once he gets to the AHL, same thing. You'll see him as like that top power play option with the hammer from the the circle. Interesting to see where he ends up getting uh, selected in the NHL draft. I find most people in fantasy drafts use the NHL draft board as their draft board for uh, their fantasy hockey drafts, which is fraught with peril. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's where a, a list like this comes in. He ended up being ranked overall 20th on our list. And you had him, I think you're the only guy that had him inside your top 10. A couple other people had him close. Um, most other people who ranked him had him in, in the 20 range and a couple guys didn't even have him on their board at all. I mean, and that's fine, right? Like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. You know, like if, if you live in Canada and you're not watching a lot of the NTTB, NTDP games, then, um, you know, you, you just don't know him. So you don't rank him. And why would you make it up? Uh, so that that's why I get a consensus ranking. So, you know, I get a, a wide variety of of expertise and flavor. And and most of the guys who contribute to this list uh, are people who, who watch all the levels. Um, but of course you watch some more than other, cause there's just too much hockey to catch it all. Uh, another guy that had uh, a wide range of, of rankings is uh, Carson Lambos. And he ended up being ranked overall. Can't find uh, 14th. Uh, you had him way down on your list. Some other guys had him in their top 10. Uh, so here's another volatile, uh, ranker who is, who's all over the map. Uh, what's, what's your tape on, on the Canadian defenseman? Well, here's the thing. So just to kind of segue, uh, into what you said was that, uh, an NHL draft board is constructed based on a lot of factors, right? You're not drafting kids. Uh, to an NHL team because you want to see how many points they put up and how many shots they take. You want to have a cornerstone building block that you can make the, uh, makes the team better, whether it be a defensive defenseman or a goalie or whatever. So uh, within that context, I ranked Lambos number three. Uh, it's a very, very lofty praise for a kid like that. And then, But from a fantasy standpoint, I ranked him a lot lower, and that's because I can see him developing into a really good smothering shutdown type who maybe like a Ryan McDonough uh, who won't put up a whole bunch of points, but you know, or like a Vlasic, you know, where you, you just want them on the ice. They're going to play 20 to 25 minutes a game. Uh, do I see similarities to Duncan Keith and, and uh, Drew Doughty? Absolutely. There were some, uh, and you know, he went over to Finland to play cause you know, the WH, uh, WHL season got shut down. So last year with Winnipeg, he was, he was great. He was, I think the top scoring rookie defenseman in the WHL was on the power play, uh, sharing this, the, the points with the, uh, the kids Zelotti. And then, uh, you know, so he goes over to Finland and he plays for a program called Yip. Uh, and uh, Yip was uh, not very good before he got there. They had a lot of issues, not only winning, but had a lot of, a lot of issues uh, keeping the puck out of the net. And since he arrived, it, it, it was a 180. Uh, that they became not only a winning team, that became a really good defensive team. And he was logging uh, 20 to 22 minutes a game. Uh, played on the power play, top penalty kill, like basically a problem solver for them. Although they did have a couple of other quality defensemen at the time. So it's not like he was able to just walk in and be the number one. He had to compete against them, but the coaching staff there was definitely obviously comfortable using him 
Uh, and he even got a chance to play a couple of games in the SM League. I think he played like two games in the men's league. So really good experience for him. Uh, I think he'll be probably one of the top one or two defensemen in the WHL this season. Uh, you know, so uh, you got a, I kind of compared him a little bit to, to uh, Drew Doughty and Duncan Keith in terms of stylistically, the way he skates, the way he handles the puck. But he's also physical. He's a very strong guy. He delivers hard hits, so he's very tough to get around. Um, I'm just wondering, from a fantasy standpoint, uh, is he going to be a perennial Nars Trophy candidate because of his point production or because of his his defensive play? And I think that in the end, he's such an unselfish player that that he's going to probably focus more on the defensive side than anything else. I mean, he really he's a vacuum cleaner in the, in the neutral zone. Uh, and if he does get a lot of points, though, it'll probably be because of the team he plays for and the forward group that he has surrounding him. Although he he is creative, it's not like he's a he's a high maintenance type. It's just that he puts such a premium on on protecting the puck and uh, protecting his own end that I, I could see a coaching staff say, hey, you know what, dude, we just need you to kind of, you know, keep it clean in our own end and let the foes do all the work. So you probably see a lot of secondary assists, a lot of, uh, you know. Uh, uh, points off of like point shots and breakout passes. Uh, but uh, so that's why I was a little low on him on the fantasy ranking. But in terms of, you know, ranking overall, I, I see him being a, a number one on an NHL team. Uh, you know, even similarities to, to some uh, similar similarities to Jacob Chikrin, who a lot of people were down on in his draft season. And now he's really like the number one on Phoenix or uh, Arizona and uh, really blossoming before our eyes. So uh I think Lamos, you'll see him uh, become a similar type of player. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and a, a great example of the difference between an NHL draft board and and then applying that to your fantasy rankings draft board, the difference between the two, and some guys move up, and some guys move down. Um, the guys that move up, sometimes there's a risk that they have a better skill set or offensive upside, but um, how much ice time they get is a huge factor. Right. If so, yeah. they've got holes in their game that are that are keeping them down on the NHL draft board. But maybe they don't skate very well, or or maybe they don't back check too hard, or they're just they may they're a little bit Alexi Kovalev and they mail it in for a game or two and and don't yeah. do anything. Um, so those guys would be hard pressed to get some ice time. But then you got guys like this who you know maybe don't have the same sort of offensive upside. Like Jacob Chikrin is 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 good offensively, but you know he's he's no Cal McCarr, right? Yeah. Um, but I mean, he gets all the ice time he can handle and it's hard not to produce some kind of points when you're playing over 20 minutes a game, right? You know, it might not be, might not be power play goals all the time, but if you're on the ice, you're, you're blocking shots and you're going to pick up some, some assists and points, um, by default, just from passing the puck up to your forwards and letting them do the scoring. Yeah. Um, so it's not to say that he would be devoid of, of fantasy value, um, but in the fantasy draft, he moves down a little bit. Um, I got a couple more guys I could talk about, but do you have any one or two players who who you thought were interesting if you saw the, the overall rankings? So we, we went through the top 10. Uh, after that, it goes Simon Edvidson, Cole Sillinger, Chaz Lucius, Carson Lambos, Simon Robertson, Brennan Othman, uh, Oscar Olison, Xavier Burgal, and Mason McTavish. And then Sasha Pastrzov. Mason McTavish is a player who I think is ranked too low um, on on both NHL draft boards and the fantasy one. I think he might be the hardest hit player for COVID that he didn't didn't play for a long time. Um, 
any of those guys jump out at you to, to guys who you thought would maybe be a little bit higher on the, the fantasy ranking? Well, uh, well, the two, well, two guys I'll, I'll touch on one being, uh, one guy that I was higher on that was a little bit lower, but not that all that much. And that was Cole Sillinger. And, uh, you know, he's Mike Sillinger's kid. Mike Sillinger was a first round pick of the Red Wings back in 89, played on like 15 NHL teams, uh, kind of a journeyman, but he was still a good NHL player. Uh, but Cole is a, is a bit of a different player. He's a, a big, mean, physical, nasty, in-your-face winger. And uh, so what happened with Cole was he was playing in the WHL last season. Uh, and I, was it Moose Jaw? I, was, I think he was playing for Moose Jaw. But uh, Medicine Hat or Moose Jaw? I think it was Medicine Hat. Uh, but he was playing for Medicine Hat last year. And uh, he was pretty good. You know, he was one of the top uh, young players on that team. And then obviously because of COVID, it got shut down. He was not playing and then decided to go to the USHL. So it's a great example, a great opportunity for us to finally see, all right, well, let's see who's better. The, you know, the Canadian major junior, the U.S. Because, you know, the USHL has been out drafting uh, uh, the uh, the OHL the last couple of years. And, and by that, the other Canadian junior leagues. So it's been a, bit, a little bit of a competition now between the Americans and the Canadians over who's developing the better talent when it comes to the draft. Uh, so uh, when I saw that he was going to go to Sioux Falls in the USHL, I'm like, all right. You know, USHL is definitely a more defense-oriented league. Uh, kind of like the, the, the similar situation like the WHL, where out of the three major junior leagues, we consider the dub to be the tougher one to score in. This freaking kid goes to the USHL and just, just annihilates it. He annihilates it. It's, 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 kind of, it's kind of sad. It's unfortunate for the, the USHL competition because he's just toying with them. Uh, he's only played in about, I think, 20 games. But in those 20 games, he was already, I think, third or fourth in the league in, in scoring and points per game. And all the guys ahead of him were on that Chicago loaded team with all these first round picks or potential first round picks. Uh, that, that team averages like six goals a game. So in a way, it's, I think it's more impressive for Sillinger to be a top point producer on a team like Sioux Falls than it would be if he played for a team like, let's say, Chicago, where everybody knows how to score. Uh, but on top of that, his, his shots, I mean, he's... Uh, He's had game. He's averaging like almost five shots a game or four and a half shots a game, which is very difficult to do in the US, USHL. And there was one game where he had 10 shots. So think about it. You got a, a two-way physical bruising winger type who could score. He could play, be a playmaker. He's got a great intensity. He's got the NHL bloodlines. And oh, by the way, if he wants to, he could just shoot the puck at will and uh, you know beef up his totals. So uh, one of the more complete players you'll find in this draft. He's a throwback. I, I, I love the kid's game uh, immensely. And I got him ranked in my top 10 overall. Uh, so I think I had him ranked seventh in the fantasy ranking. I mean, I, I just think that, you know, when you, when you offer so many different looks uh, from one position, the left wing position, where he could beat you in so many ways, uh, that, that's when the, the points and the shots are going to start piling up. Uh, the other guy is Edvinson. Now, let me tell you about Simon Edvinson. I, I want to make it clear. I'm not going to use this as a soapbox, but uh, I, I am going to you know, give it a, a, use the opportunity or take the opportunity to explain myself because Simon Edvinson has been considered a potential number one overall pick. Uh, I, I've even seen NHL central scouting go as far as to compare him to Victor Hedman, which I thought was a little premature. Um, but Edvinson is a big, lanky uh Puck moving defenseman. He plays for Frölunda in the uh, Swedish Hockey League. Now he's with Vastaras in the Olsvenskan, the, the the middle tier league. And this kid has all the makings, all the uh, the potential in the world to be a number one defenseman in the NHL. He could put up a lot of points. He's a power play quarterback. He loves to hammer the puck. 
the thing about Edmondson, though, is that his decision-making is very suspect. Now, it's not sloppy. It's just it seems like uh, there's a lot of selfishness in his game. He makes decisions not really for the sake of the team, but for himself. And by that, I'm seeing saying that he's he's going to take the puck and do a one-on-four, right? He's going to take the puck by himself up the ice. He's going to look beautiful skating with it through the zone. And once he gets to the line, there's four people in front of him. He's going to try to skate right through them. Now, that might work in the J20. It might work maybe even in uh, international tournaments, but that's not going to work in the NHL. Uh, and he keeps trying to do it. Uh, you watch him play uh, where it's like he'll have such a great start and he'll be you know dishing the puck out with, with authority, an outstanding breakout passer, uh, and he'll have such a solid opening to his game, and then the, the bad decisions start coming, okay? The overcommitments, the overaggressiveness. And I don't mean over aggressiveness like, oh, I'm going to pinch and pinch and pinch and eventually I'll get caught. I'm talking about like, you know, putting himself in positions where he's not needed, uh, going after the puck when he doesn't have it, when he needs to basically space himself out. He doesn't understand the the, the concept of puck support where like if, if you, your forward's carrying the puck up ice, you got to maybe create a little bit of separation. So, you, you know, you're not all boxed in together. Uh, you know, he could be undisciplined at times, tries to be overly fancy and flashy when there's absolutely no need for him to be flashy. And it leads to turnovers. And I, and this was all documented. I mean, I got I got volumes on this kid and I feel bad because it looks like I'm targeting him and I want to. It's like a smear campaign. Uh, but I, I have to you know, I keep watching him to see if I'm I'm wrong. And every time I watch him, I come away with with, you know, negative notes on him. Uh, and I, I tried to be positive. So uh, with him, when you're drafting first overall, I don't care if it's a fantasy draft or an NHL draft, you want uh, assurances. You want, uh, you know, uh, you definitely want comfort. You don't, you don't want to take a risk on a first overall pick. You don't want to base your... Now, the, the, as far as the comparisons with Victor Hedman, Victor Hedman, his draft year, was the number one on Moto which was a powerhouse team. He was playing 24 to 25 minutes a game. It was, it's almost like, you know, he was like their Ray Bork or he was their, uh, you know, Drew Doughty or he was their Kale McCarr, right? And Edmondson, they tried to play him with the SHL team and he was playing like two to four minutes a game if he was even playing. And then they finally sent him down to the old Svenskin and now he's with Vastaras and he's the number four there on an average mediocre team and he's playing about 15 minutes a game. So I don't know where the scouting community gets the Victor Hedman comparison, aside from the fact that he's big, mobile, and Swedish. You know, <laughs> uh, he's big, mobile, and Swedish, uh, and and you know a little bit of creativity, uh, and there is some flair. But um, Hedman was a guy that that we knew at worst would be a really good. Uh, you know, defensive guy in his own end, and maybe not put up a whole lot of points with Edmondson. Um, I, I don't know if 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 he's going to have to unlearn a lot of issues, and that's why I have him ranked really low in my main rankings. I have him ranked in like the twenties, uh, and I just I can't see. You know, you look at you look at from like a shot shot generation standpoint. When Edmondson played for the J twenty team in Forlunda, that powerhouse team, when we talked about uh, Liesel, uh Edmondson was supposed to be their number one. He didn't play like a number one. He was there for about, uh, I want to say about 15 games. He had about like maybe five or six points in those 15 games. This is a team that was averaging six goals a game, by the way. 
He only had about five or six points in those 15 games and had 28 shots. So about, you know, two shots a game. Whereas the, the other defensemen on the team, they had a, a couple of defensemen who were averaging higher than that. So, uh, you know, they had one defenseman who was averaging three shots a game. So I'm, I'm wondering, like, are right, you going to call this guy number one? You're going to call him a franchise guy. Well, well, what, why? Well, I mean, what are we basing it off of? What are we basing? It was an international tournament that happened a year and a half ago where he was, in fact, really good at that World U-17 Hockey Challenge. Um, he had a recent U-18 versus U-19 game with, the, with Sweden. It was the Team U-18 versus Team U-19. And same, same issues uh, where, you know, with him, though, you get a lot of power play time. You probably get a lot of shots. Uh, but the point production... Yeah, maybe at most 30, 40 points a season in the NHL if he makes it. I don't know. I, I just, I, you first overall pick uh, to me is a big deal. You need to check every single block and not have uh, any red flags. And he's got a bunch. So that's why I would say, uh, you know, kind of be cautious with the way that people assess him. Yeah. I don't think we're looking at him as first overall in the fantasy ranking. That's for sure. Um, you know, this is, this is a weird draft. Right off the top, we talked about it, and I, I'm trying to come up with a number that I think is a consensus where everyone has these X number of players in their the top of their draft, and I, it's like four. Clark, Power, Hughes, Eklund, Beniers, maybe like five. I'm looking at the consensus rankings on Elite Prospects right now, and um, they've got Simon Edmondson at, at fifth. And Dylan Gunther at 12. And a lot of people are saying Gunther should be, he's a potential number one. Um, So, you know, I don't know who contributes to the elite prospects consensus rankings, but um, it's kind of all over the map compared to um, what I'm looking at for the fantasy ranking. And when I look at a couple of my more uh, trusted rankings, like, uh, yours, the Dauber Prospects, uh, HockeyProspect.com, um, Bob McKenzie's. Uh, you know, even with even amongst those guys, there's some players who have wide ranges and disparities, more so this year than any other year I can remember. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not like a couple of players who people just can't agree on. And there's always a draft that has one or two of those guys that it's just like, you know, he's ranked fifth on on one guy's list and in the second round in another guy's list. This is this year's draft. It's almost the opposite where you've got a couple of guys who are people are saying, yeah, he could go first. And then everyone else is a total crapshoot. Yeah. Fascinating draft year. Uh, it, we've got some some road to go before all the games are played. And who knows what the NHL draft is even going to be this year if they're going to have a draft or if they're just going to lump two years together. Uh, there's been a little, a little bit of conversation about that. I think that if the NHL was going to do that, they would have made that decision by now. I'm pretty confident there, there will be a 21 draft. Um, I don't think it'll be a live draft again. I think we'll have, like we had with 2020, it'll be another online sort of style draft where the players are are zoomed in from from their home when, when they're selected, which is unfortunate, right? Because... Yeah. Especially for a draft like this, this year's draft class, a lot of these guys, the draft might be the pinnacle of their career. And not being at the, the NHL draft and being able to go up on stage and, and have Gary Bettman say, welcome to the NHL, throw that jersey and cap on and put their arm around the GM and, and, and the, you know, director of scouting or whoever and, and be on stage and do the media tour that follows. Like, 
that weekend is a pretty special moment for a lot of these players' careers. And in some cases, it's as good as it's ever going to get for them. So I hope that these these players aren't denied that opportunity and they get that chance. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Uh, nothing is standard anymore. So uh, I think uh, the big the big thing that we're waiting for right now is for the OHL. Once the OHL can figure out and just give a definitive answer, uh, that'll that'll help the process uh, go through. So even if it, look at the dub, they're only going to do 24 games. But you know what? They'll have a postseason. So they add another what, like, you know, 10 to 15 games, most of these top prospects. That should be plenty of time. 30, 35 games should be enough of a sample for a scouting staff to take to combine with their notes from previous years. Right. Because we watched the kids last year. All these games are archived on video. They could do all the interviews. They, the scouts have access uh, to all these kids. They could talk to the coaches. They could talk to the opposing coaches. So, uh, you know, Steve Eisenman went public about a month ago saying, oh, our guys need more time. Well, what, what does that mean, you guys need more time? That's ridiculous. Because they, you know, I already have notes on a, you know, over five, 600 kids. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, for, it's, from the yeah, it's, it's a level playing field. Everyone's in the same boat. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that the, the OHL is the big one. There's probably a concern that it's not fair for these OHL and WHL kids to not get drafted. But then what about the other 80% of the, you know, the kids that uh, uh, make up a given draft class, a draft year. So we'll see. Uh, I think it would be completely, uh, uh, I guess uh, it would be unprecedented if they had like two drafts in one weekend or one week, uh, you know, from one year to, to the next, it'd be pretty crazy. So I don't know how they'll do that. Or they just they move the draft age to 19 and just throw them all in the same pool as the 22 just guys. Just for that one year, yeah. Just for the one year. Or know? or going forward, there's there's or been forward, yeah. There, yeah the scouting community talks about whether or not the NHL draft should be at 18 years or or 19. Um, I don't I don't agree with that. I think the the trickle down effect on that, you know, is is pretty significant. That'll affect every other league below the NHL with if they change their draft age. Um, and as far as the OHL goes, you know, by mid-February, I was pretty bleak on the assumption that the OHL, it ain't happening. They're not going to have a league. Like, I don't know what the holdup is. The, the NHL is playing games in Ontario. The AHL has agreed to, to come back. And so we'll have games in, in Ontario in the AHL. Um, so I don't know what the holdup is with the OHL. And then leagues below that are, are playing. So like, why isn't the OHL getting it together? And then the league, um, a few weeks after that, made an announcement, like late February, early March, had an announcement that they were not canceling the season and that, you know, basically hinting that we had some irons in the fire for how we're going to do it. Later that afternoon, Scott Wheeler put out a tweet saying that it was looking at having a couple of hub cities that they would play in um, and having, a, like you said, like a 20-game sort of template for a season. And then that would allow the CHL to have playoffs and, and hopefully a Memorial cup. Yeah. Uh, haven't really heard anything on, on that. And, you know, we're running out of, we're running out of road here, running out of runway. Um, I don't know if they have any problems with playing through the summer and, and not really having much of an off season before they start the, um, the 21, 22 season, but you know, who knows What's going to happen here? The, a lot of talk about vaccines coming out now and um, timelines, but those seem to be getting faster and faster and more optimistic. And the whole situation changes on a daily basis. So I really hope that the OHL can get uh, everything lined up so that they can 
have something similar to what we were talking about, a 20-game short season, maybe some hub cities, playoff, uh, and go from there. Uh, Steve, thanks so much for, for coming on and, and giving me a, a good chunk of your, your day today. I really appreciate it. Uh, Steve Cornianos is the author of the Draft Analyst podcast. You follow him on Twitter at the Draft Analyst. Um, I love his podcast called The Draft Analyst. Broke out a little bit with your YouTube channel. It's not called The Draft Analyst. I guess that handle was already taken. Yeah, so it's called Prospect Film Room instead. There you Plus, go. You know, I used to have, I used to have uh, the draft analyst. I still have a draft analyst uh, YouTube channel, but um, uh, Google gave me too many strikes for. Uh, uh, I guess when I when I put the highlights and the videos of games in, it would have like a song in the background. You know, like in between whistles, they would play a song in the PA system in the arena. Well, if you do that, the YouTube picks up. It's like, oh, you don't have rights to broadcast that song. So I got so many strikes. They they basically like just shut down that the ability for me to to create anymore on that channel. So I created a new one, Prospect Film Room, and that's the one I've been using uh, where I have all the highlights on it. So podcast, I haven't done a podcast in a long time. Uh, I think it's been like two months. So I'm going to kick that up soon again. You and uh, me, bro. Yeah. Uh, it's just been busy, 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 uh, you know, trying to get uh, this stuff knocked out on a daily basis. But um, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. It's always a pleasure to, to talk prospects with you. And uh, I think uh, if you're a fan of uh, either, whether it's prospects or the draft, you, you got to listen to Pete and his podcast and uh, head over to Dobber prospects. Cause really I, uh, th- this is the one year where we really have no idea. We need as much help as we can. Uh, so you got to use the resources that are out there. And Dobber is one of the better ones. Yeah, um, you know, Tony does a really good job on his podcast, The Draft um, Draftcast is what it's called. Uh, he, he certainly puts in way more hours with watching the draft eligible guys. I kind of try to spread it around a little bit and watch some some NHL and AHL games as well. Um, so I'm certainly not this, the same level of, of draft eligible prospect experts that uh, he, you and he are, uh, which is why I have guys like you on my podcast. Um so thanks for that. Really appreciate it. And uh, let's just really all hope, and if you if you pray, that the NHL has a draft this year. Um, because if they don't, that'll screw up a lot of our, our fantasy leagues where we, where we trade and have draft picks as commodities. I got two coming up in the first round of this this draft in one of my leagues. Um, if Yeah, so if the NHL doesn't have a draft, that could really complicate things. Um, and if they do, hopefully it's a live draft and, uh, you know, you and I can can get together and have a beer again. Uh, I've yeah. seen you at a, at a couple of drafts now and you living in Nashville and me living in Ontario. That's that's quite a lot of geography between us, but uh, we get together for a draft. Yeah, let's hope. Let's just hope. Yeah. All right, Steve. Thanks very much. And uh, we'll we'll get you back on here in the future for another episode. All right. Thanks, Pete. Appreciate it.